turn to Romans chapter 12, stand in honor of God's word, if you would. How many of you love the word of God? You're going to get it this morning. Look at Romans 12, 9. You there? Say amen. Don't lie. You're in church. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in your confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Father in heaven, we come to you and we ask that you would reveal these truths in your word because these truths are just as much about how we are to behave and how we are to be as Christians as the Beatitudes given by Jesus in the Mount of Olives in Matthew chapter 5. So Father, meet us here. Father, speak to our hearts and lives. And God, for every believer that is here present or is watching live that was once involved and no longer is, God, I ask that they would go from retirement to refirement. Father God, call us back to active service. Call us back to serving you in a tangible and a real way. Being the difference makers in our community, or as one person said, being the change that we want to see. Father God, thank you that you desire to use us all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Look at somebody and say, it's about to get real in here. In five verses, we have 13 exhortations that are basic instructions for Christian living. Some have said if the theme of verses 9 through 21 were love, the contents would be very close to 1 Corinthians 13. As Christians, we are exhorted here to love sincerely, genuinely, and the word used here suggests without hypocrisy or deception. And if you look up the word hypocrisy or hypocrite in the New Testament, you'll probably find something kind of, of strange. You'll probably find, depending on what means you're looking it up through, the original language saying something like an actor, uh, a dissembler, one who's assuming a role. And it depicted back in the day um, actors uh, they didn't have the t technology and, and you, know, the, the, you know, that we do today. And so they would have these masks that they would wear, and they would have devices in the masks that would, um, you know, magnify their voices. And what this word hypocrite means, it's one who is wearing a mask and assuming a role. And the Bible says that as Christians, we are to love without hypocrisy, no masks, no masks. My wife went on a lady's retreat a few years ago, and they had the gals at the very beginning, um, they had them, told them they weren't wearing any makeup to turn in all their phones, and uh, no masks, um, no masks. So every blemish, every imperfection was seen, and I, I just love that. I thought that that was awesome. So here, we are called to love sincerely, genuinely, without hypocrisy or deception. John Calvin said, it is difficult to express how ingenuous almost all men are 
and counterfeiting a love which they do not really possess. Love cannot be used as an ulterior, as a tool for, for ulterior motives. Goes on to say that Christians are called to hate what is evil. Strong language today in our culture. Christians are called to hate what is evil. Let me support this with some other scriptures. Job 1.1, Job is called blameless, a man of complete integrity who feared God and stayed away or shunned evil. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 45.7 that God loves justice and hates evil. God hates evil. Hates it. We are to hold tightly to what is good. If you look up the words hold tightly, it means to glue or join together. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6.16, it's also used to describe sexual union. So the, the principle that's being applied here is that the Christian life or the Christian walk, it's not defined by what you avoid. It's defined much more by what you would cling to. Our walk with God isn't isn't a bunch of, of, of rules that we're adhering to. I would call that religion. Anybody can subscribe to a religion. Anybody can subscribe to a bunch of do's or don'ts or a bunch of rules. Where's the life in that? Where's the life in that? No, 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 no. As Christians, we are called to love Jesus so much because of all that he's done for us and freed us from. So if you love and cling to Jesus, I'm convinced that you won't do this or that. You don't need rules telling you. If you love God, you won't. If you love God, you won't. Our belief system as Christians isn't based on some strict moral code consisting of all these do's and don'ts. It's based on a faith in Jesus, so much so that when we believe the do's and don'ts are written on our hearts. They're written on our hearts. You don't, you don't do it or don't do it because you have to. You do it or don't do it because you love God and you, and you want to. It's written on your heart. You're compelled. That's the difference. That's the difference. Anybody can subscribe to, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of do's and don'ts. Anybody can subscribe to that. Christianity isn't a subscription you sign up for and promise that you'll do this, this, and that, and you're giving a church are your, are your membership dues or fees. Christianity is based on relationship. And everything that is not based on relationship gets weird, and it gets religious, and it gets stale, and all of a sudden you find yourself getting a little bit burned out because you were making yourself subscribe to some kind of church membership instead of a partnership instead of a relationship. I'm not trying to be a Christian. I've tried to be a Christian, and it's exhausting. I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and out of love and pursuing him, perfect imperfections and all. And out of a love for God, I'm pursuing him, imperfections and all. Let me just challenge this. Go to Matthew 11. Can we go there? Matthew 11. The most exhausting people to be around are the people that are trying to be Christians. Man, I'm not trying to be anything. I either am or I'm not. I'm not claiming anything. I either have a relationship with Jesus or I don't. I don't care how long you've been in the church. 
I don't care if you were alive when the apostles walked the face of the earth. You either have a, religion, a relationship with the living God or you are religious at best. And I don't want to get religious. I, I don't want it. And if there's anything in me, I, I, I fight any kind of religious conformity that demands that I am... I can remember hearing John Bevere preach one time. And my wife's always saying, I don't finish my sentences. That demands that I act like this, this, or that. I'm watching John Bevere preach one time, and he said, uh, he said uh, don't tell me that I can't go to movies. Don't put that on me. I'll go to a movie right now. It is a relationship that you encourage people in. It's not a religion that they subscribe for, and you tell them that they need to do this, need to do that, need to do that. Man, if they got a relationship with the living God, he'll communicate all that. What you want them to do is enter into a relationship with God where they're now beginning to be led in a relationship by the living God. You don't want to lead them or they're never going to stop coming to you. You want to push them to Jesus. What's God telling you? I mean, don't you, don't you get tired of, 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 of praying the same similar prayers for people again and again? When are you going to ask them, what's God telling you? Well, I don't know. I haven't been seeking him much. I'm spending all my time seeking you. Well, I'm not God. You figured that out? And don't hang around me too close because you're going to really get disillusioned with who you think God is. Matthew 11, look at this. 16 and 19, 16 through 19. There's some really good stuff in here. We don't have the time to really unpack it, but... Jesus speaking, to what can I compare this generation? It's like children playing a game in the public square. They complained to their friends, we played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. For John didn't spend his time eating and drinking and you say he's possessed by a demon. The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying that there ain't a formula out there that you could put him in, that you can get God to subscribe to. Well, well, Jesus, you didn't dance for us. Well, 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 well Jesus, you, you, you didn't mourn for us. God is not at your beck and call to perform to your liking. We are his servants. He's not ours. He's not waiting up there rubbing his hands together. How can I please Pastor John and Lisa more today? We are here for his good pleasure. And I don't know how it happened, but somewhere along the line in church history, the church began to uh, get sold a bill of goods that said Christianity is this great big catering service, and God will give you whatever you want, and he'll bless you any way that you want. I do not find that consistent with church history, and I certainly don't find that consistent with God's word. We are promised joy, not always happiness. And a joy, a joy that surpasses our understanding. We don't even know how we can have the joy that we're experiencing while we're going through what we are. Supernatural, God-given peace and joy. But is it always easy? No, it's not. No, it's not. And somehow, the church began to believe that they could get God to perform to their liking. That's not relationship, that's manipulation. God is not... God is not. The creator of the universe is not trying to perform to your liking. You are either in right standing with him and experiencing the blessings from heaven above, or you are not. You are either in relationship with the living God or you're not. I went to high school with a kid. 
And he, uh, he was one of those guys, I don't know if you went to school with anybody like this, but he was one of those guys who would, who would claim to be dating girls that he really wasn't. <laughs> Did anybody go to school with anybody like that? Okay. And so finally, we just started approaching the girls and saying, are you dating so-and-so? No. Well, he says you are. Well, he's wrong. Is God validating the relationship that you claim to have with him? Are you in a relationship with the living God or not? This isn't a boast. It's not a claim. It's either a reality or it isn't. And is that evidenced upon your life? Notice how it says here, but wisdom is shown to be right by its results. There are results from living a wise life. There are results from it. There are no formulas. Well, Pastor John, what are you saying? I'm saying there are no formulas, but there is pursuit. There are no formulas in this. There's not some system that you get to work. Your devotions shouldn't even reek of a system that you think if you just put it into place, well, this is what works. This is, this is what, I, what, what I do. It should be a chase. It should be a pursuit because lovers pursue each other. In healthy marriages, there is a pursuit. In healthy relationships, there is a pursuit. Hey, we haven't talked in a while. How you doing? How's it going? Pursuit. Pursuit. When love is healthy, Scripture says, it can delight in honoring others. The selfish and self-centered struggle serving others because their world revolves around them and the love that they get. Their friends are those who agree with them on all sides. They serve for a short time but get offended quickly because they weren't treated like they thought they should be. I used to serve brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so said this or said that. You know, there are no perfect conditions for serving Jesus, just right hearts. Just right hearts. Can you be happy for someone else? Can you honor someone else if you're never honored in return? Can you serve in an area of ministry in a church that does not do everything the way that you prefer? Does anyone... Do anything that you prefer all the time. If they do, they're probably not happy. I want to suggest three ways that you can serve in order of spiritual maturity. First being the easiest, the last being the toughest. The first and easiest is serving with your talents or area of giftedness, musically, administratively, love for kids, youth, etc. The second is serving with your treasure or finances, realizing God is owner, and the first tenth or tithe comes into the storehouse. The storehouse is a place that you're being fed from. Lastly and most difficult, bar none, is serving with your time. Serving with your time. Talents, treasure, and time. People are so busy today, believe it or not, their time is more precious than their money. This is no exaggeration. Any pastor will tell you that there are people that give to his church and do not attend, don't even faithfully attend, because their time is more precious than money itself. Think about our culture today, especially in America. We have fast everything. Fast everything. Oil changes, food, In fact, if you can come up with a way to make the Ameri the, uh, an American's life easier, then you're probably going to be a millionaire. 
make my life easier. I mean, it wasn't long ago that we actually had to stick our finger in a rotary phone and dial it. It wasn't long ago that we had to get up and actually change the channel on the television. This wasn't long ago. I mean, I mean your, your, your privacy was about as good as the length of your telephone cord. And if you had a really, really long one, then you could go around the corner or you could sit on a basement steps or on the steps of your stairs and close the door and you could talk on the phone. Now, you are accessible 24-7. Have you ever had people get mad at you because you didn't get back with them right away on a text? Even though there's no possible way that they can know what you're doing? And, and if people get like that with me, I'll tell them where I was. Well, you probably wouldn't want to be where I am right now, so give me a minute. Let your mind go wherever it has to right there. I'm good with it. So we live in a crazy, crazy world. Business psychologist Tony Crabb, who works with companies like Microsoft and Disney, offers five reasons why people are so busy. You're probably going to want to write these down. Five reasons why people are so busy today. Number one, busy is easier. We are busy because we don't make the tough choices. Busy is easier. Ben Hunnicutt, professor of leisure studies at the University of Iowa, says busy is actually one of the seven deadly sins. It's slothfulness. In the Middle Ages, slothfulness had two forms. One is lazy, the other acedia, running about frantically. Isn't that crazy? Busy is actually slothfulness. Running about frantically. Number two, busy is avoidance. All those things you keep meaning to do that could make a difference are hard to do. It's avoidance. Honeycutt says in being busy, we get to feel productive while procrastinating. Man. Please shove out the people that are coming to your mind right now. I'm trying. I mean, I, I know people that can't sit still. They have a hard time going on vacation, can't sit still. They come home from work, and they're going. I'm thinking, then why come home from work? I, I, I don't get it. And it's amazing what you can avoid when you are busy. Number three, busy is an addiction. We check our phones for texts and social media on an average of every 6.5 minutes. I love what Hunnicutt says here. He says, there's a small squirt of cocaine-like dopamine released each time you look at your email and Google searches release opiate-like substances. Isn't that good? And look, I'm not saying I'm innocent. And put the phones down. Put them down. Honey, I believe the pastor just cussed from the pulpit. <laughs> Number four, busy is about time. Busy is an experience. Honeycutt says, we feel harried and overwhelmed for much of our waking moments. So what strategy do we employ to address this? For most of us, it's time management. However, in a world of infinite demand, the more we manage our time, the more we cram into our days. We can do more now. Man, we can get a lot done. 
man, we can text and we can email and we can, we can message and we can Instagram all in five minutes. It's quiet in here. Five, busy is a rubbish success story, assuming personal productivity is what will deliver success. Honeycutt says, we have become drudges, too busy to lift our heads and do the things we know will make an impact and differentiate ourselves. We don't need to be more productive. We need to do less better. We don't need to be more productive. We need to do less better. As your pastor, I am asking for you to not just say it, but to make God, family, and church priorities. And let me make a case as to why. You might all agree to that. I'm not saying say it. I'm saying do it. Anybody can say it. I've heard preachers say it and not do it. In fact, we have been criticized because there are those that have told us through the years that we should have been given more time to the church than we were. I wouldn't trade my three sons for all the stinking tea in China. And I wouldn't want some of the families that I've seen other pastors have. And you go ahead and make your choice. I'm sure I'm not going to get to heaven one day and have God say, John, why didn't you invest more time at the church and neglect your sons more? Their stability is not what's important. No, 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 no. Billy Sunday, famous evangelist, on his deathbed said, I've won countless thousands to the Lord, but lost my own children. I don't want to be that guy, and I could care less what you think. I do not want to be that guy. So if I don't come running when you want me sometime because I'm spending time with my family, you tell me, Pastor, good for you. Because I might say to you, is this an emergency right now? It's an emergency right now. I'm not trying to neglect my role as pastor. And I'm not saying that when I go home that I cease to be pastor. I mean, there is no time clock before my boss. But I might say, you know what? You know, I'm spending time with the, the fam right now. Or I might not even tell you that. I just might ask, is this an emergency? Please, if it is, get a hold of me. I want to know. But just know that I, I value my, my family very, very much. Love being with my family. I'm always asking the boys to, you know, come over, hang out with us. So God, family, and church, make them priorities. Why? John 15, 4 says, apart from God, you can do nothing. First and foremost, what is your relationship with the living God like? Well, Pastor John, I was raised like this. Well, I was probably raised similar to that too. I was raised that church was a place that you went to. It wasn't a people that I was a part of. And so church and my private life were completely separate. And believe it or not, whatever you subscribe to, this still exists today, that church is a place that you go to. It's really not a, a, a people that you're a part of. And so I went to church, okay? No, 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 you are the church, okay? And so you don't cease being the church after you leave service. 
We, we don't cease to be the body of Christ because we have, because service is concluded. In just a few minutes, I'm going to conclude the service. You are still a member of the body of Christ. So if you don't want it said about Jesus' body, then don't let it be said about you. You are a member of the body of Christ. And that never ceases. Never ceases. Secondly, concerning family, your marriage and family are your first calling and the very first thing God instituted after creation. The very first thing God instituted after creation. It wasn't good for Adam alone. Gave him Eve. Cain, Abel, Seth. Marriage and family, first thing, first thing instituted. Everything God does is good. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. I don't believe that that's just the way things happen. I believe it was ordered by God that way. Make your family a priority. Make them a priority. Okay. Do you really need to put all those hours in? Do you really, really, really need to put all that time in? Man, get home. Get home. Get your keisters home. Spend time with your, with your families. I mean, those few hundred bucks a month, you know, I get it. I get it wanting to pay off debt. I, I get it. And I believe, I believe it's good to work hard. The Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. I get it. But Lisa and I determined a long time ago that if ever our marriage was hurting, if ever our family was hurting, that I would leave the ministry that I would pass it off to someone, that I would go get a job. How healthy is your family? How healthy is your marriage? How healthy is it? What can you do about it? Man, I get sometimes couples, man, they're both type A's and they're go, 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 go. I, I, I get it. But I, I, I'll tell you what, my home is a retreat and it's a safe haven for me. Some people don't go home because there's not much for them there because they haven't invested much in it and so they can't withdraw very much. Your marriage, your family, they're kind of like a, a bank that if you have been depositing, you can withdraw from. But if you haven't deposited much, then there's not much there for you. And then before you know it, you're then telling everyone that you're working so hard for all of them and you're doing all of this for them and the reality is no you're you're really not because nobody in the family is asking you to work that hard nobody's asking you to do that make your marriage and your family a priority or maybe you're a single person here right now are you open to God bringing somebody into your life or would they not be a priority to you? Maybe right now you need to be praying 
for God to provide room in your heart to share your life with somebody else because it will be an equal share. Marriage is not training the other one. Well, I almost got Lisa trained. Well, I figure we're about a half a year away and she'll be fully trained. And if you know my wife, she's not training me and I'm not training her. We're two strong, passionate people. I wouldn't have it any other way. We wouldn't have lasted if we weren't. Lastly, why should church be a priority? God, family, church. Why should church be a priority? Because church is the one place, rest assured, that reminds you of all of this that we just talked about. I'm reminding you. I'm reminding you to, to tend to your marriage and to tend to your family. I'm reminding you of that. Church reminds you of that. I believe Christians should have the healthiest marriages, the strongest and most stable families. Well, Pastor John, where's the fun in that? Man, we have a great time. I guess I'm just focused more on stability than fun sometimes. Because whatever your definition of fun is, it can get a little crazy. And then all the stable people in your life have to clean up the mess that you made when you were having fun. And you know what? When fun's out of control, it begins to get noticed, and that's how you know you got a problem, because people are noticing. People are noticing things about your behavior. People are beginning to see it. I have approached people in the community, leaders in the community, Concerning areas of their life that I noticed, hey, I've noticed, is everything okay? Thank you so much for saying something. I said, well, I, you know, just, Lisa and I were concerned. We saw, we were concerned. I don't care what they think. It, it became noticeable. It became noticeable. Make God, make family, and make church priorities. God, family, and church priorities. I want to pray.